this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we are hosting a roundtable discussion on uh, something near and dear to my heart, Jay. I actually uh, got a nickname. Uh, <laughs> you sure do. In, in the 90s that I've uh, cultivated. If you want to check out my eBay uh, selling list, or, or uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's Uncle Tim Cavolt. And uh, I, <laughs> I was I was given that name uh, in the nineties. This is true. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Not come up with it. You, no, I did. You sure have owned it since we. Uh, someone since it was uh, given. Someone laid that upon me when they discovered that I was a, a huge fan of Uncle Tupelo, Wilco, and Sunvolt, and uh, actually went to see Wilco and Sunvolt. At like back to back shows along with Golden Smog, which we'll get to, uh, in like a six month span, all at the same venue in like 1995 or six somewhere, uh, up in Detroit. They've all played the same place in like six months on different tours, and I got to see all three of them. And uh, pretty much the alternative country trifecta, as far as I was concerned. And uh, we're gonna talk alternative country, how I got the nickname. Uncle Tim Cavolt is not really important to that, but what we are going to talk about are the bands, the influences, the artists, all that kind of stuff, and we've got a a murderer's row of roundtable guests, Jay, all veterans, all ready to uh, uh, take some swings to keep the murderer's row analogy going from the uh, New York Yankees. Uh, <laughs> joining us from... I'm going to start uh, in the south, nearest to UJ, Dallas, Texas. He's the man that uh, he podcasts, he writes, he's a triple threat. I don't know what the third one is. <laughs> You've named two things. I named two things. <laughs> I play music. He plays music. He's in a band that's going to have an album coming out soon. Can you talk to us about that, Eric Grubbs? Sure. I... Hi. How are y'all doing? Good to be back. I am in a band called Cave Mountains. We recorded with Jordan Richardson, uh, who you might know from Ben Harper's backing band, mm -hmm. The Relentless Seven. Uh, we recorded out in a barn out uh, about a month ago, and we were doomy power pop, and I played drums on some songs, and other songs I play bass and sing. Oh, so it's a switcheroo situation. Uh, yeah. What's what's doomy power pop? What does that mean? Uh, we like to keep it upbeat, but we're not afraid to use some minor chords. Oh, good. A minor, E minor, all of them. <laughs> how, how about B minor? Whoa! <laughs> oh man, you're the getting, darkest of all Bs. You're getting dark. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, looking forward to that. You know, feel free to um, if. Uh, you want to share some music with us when whenever that's available we can sure you know plug that stuff as we like to do for our guests uh joining us from uh, a bit farther north in the uh, windy city of uh chicago new york chicago chicago illinois jim copany i just want to uh 
bring up that uh, you wrote a really nice um, blog post about or or Facebook post about um, something that exploded over the last couple of days uh, regarding a certain author that was really interesting and has opened my world up to um, uh, Mr. Eric Berry, I think his name was. Is that, is that the guy I'm thinking of? Yep, yep, yep. Fascinating, uh, fascinating yeah. backstory on on this gentleman. If anybody doesn't have know who I'm talking about, go I, read what you've written. Don't read the guy because I don't want to give him the clicks. But uh, there was also AV Club also covered him. Uh, just a bizarre story of Chicago intrigue. Yeah, just and, just a young man that apparently can't make it in the big windy city, so he's moving to the much easier climbs of New York City. Yeah, because that should be that should be. You know they'll love him there. Yeah, spent spend a lot of time trashing Chicago, which I can't fathom. That I love Chicago. If I could move anywhere, um, well, it'd be Santa Barbara because that has better weather. But second after Santa Barbara would be Chicago because um, it's an awesome city. I don't. I genuinely was uh, completely caught off guard by his rantings. So I don't know. I don't know what his problem was. I think there, I think there might be um, some uh, disappointment on his end because he seemed to be striking out with the ladies at a very high rate, and that seemed to drive him into a depression. So, I and guess apparently our beer and our beer is too expensive, and the like beer is too expensive, which was another <laughs> another. I guess fifty drafts. That's that's just too much money to lay out for a beer. <laughs> uh, all right. That's that's not relevant to our discussion. I just thought it was interesting, so uh, we'll get off of that tangent and talk to our our third roundtable participant, who has recently talked with on his podcast Vinyl Emergency, Charles Barry, the son of Mister Chuck Barry. Yes, Tim Hanky. That was uh, interesting. Oh, thanks, thanks. Uh, I mean, I could have. I felt like I could have uh, talked to Charles for. Much longer than the, you know, 90 minutes or so that we got. I mean, here's a guy with so many stories, you know, and, and stuff that we didn't touch upon, of course. But right. um, but really, really cool. Um, really great experience. And, and the the watching him and his son, uh, Chuck Berry's grandson, Charles III, play on uh, The Tonight Show recently. Uh, that's really cool. Um, it's just another segment to kind of check out. If you're kind of interested in in the last what is the last Chuck Berry album, which um, right. came out a couple months ago, um, and joining me in my in this room here tonight is uh, Henry, our five year old French bulldog Boston Terrier mix. He is sound asleep, but I'm sure if there are any points in the conversation he wants to jump in and discuss '90s alt country, I will I will let him do so. Excellent. That I can't is... I can't wait to hear I can't wait to hear which Ryan Adams is his. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be jam band, punk rock, all country. Like, it just, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, he he tends to like. I mean, I mean, I'd say the most Ryan Adams I've been spinning on on Revinyl has been the the big uh, Carnegie Hall box set. So it usually comes in during that. So maybe maybe that is you know that's our answer. Solo, quiet Ryan Adams. You know. That could be it. I don't know, but yeah, good, good question. I he <laughs> hopefully can jump in on that. Well, and alt country, alternative country. It's got a lot of names. It's also called Americana. Insurgent country is another word I've heard. 
or, or oh, description. Weird. Yeah. Uh, it's basically uh, alternative to, I would call, I would say, mainstream country. That's where the alt comes in. But I don't want to be the one that defines it. So what I like to do is go around the room, and I'd like to ask everybody, what is something that, when you're talking about alternative country, what is it that makes it alternative country as opposed to alternative rock or just country or folk? That would be another sort of close but not exactly what we're talking about here. So I'm going to start... Where I just finished, uh, Mister Hanky, because mm-hmm. I got because I got two gyms here I got to deal with. Uh, yeah, so that's we, fine. I'll uh, go by my South Park name for the show. That's fine. <laughs> what what is what is a one of the defining characteristics as we're talking about alternative country that makes something alternative country for you? Yeah, um, gosh, th- I mean, I feel like I'm going to step on other people's toes for their you know, their, their reasoning. And I think there are a couple probably major ones. I, I, I feel like though, um, the term alt country sort of got adopted in the sense of sure. It's an alternative to what we consider, you know, what mainstream music considers country. However, the, um, tropes of alt country are closer to what we know as traditional country or, or folk versus, you know, what mainstream countries obviously um, become, you know, this kind of like Mutt Lang produced like uh, ACDC style drums. Like it's, it's got more um, in common with it, late eighties, you know, hair rock and metal, you know, in, in mm-hmm. some way versus um, uh, the, the original, you know, like banjo slide guitar, that sort of thing. Um, I, I feel like if we're going to like, you know, put a Ryan Adams song versus a, you know, um, Florida Georgia line song or something like that, I, I think in the songwriting, I feel the lyrics are usually in alt country far less point A, point B, point C story based. Um, they, they do not go this route of. I said this and I did this and we're going to party and we're going to do this and, and whatever. It's, it's very much, uh, co-opting rock and rolls like, um, imagery and, and not necessarily writing about yourself as the songwriter. Um, it's, it's a lot more to read into versus I think a lot of pop country from the mid eighties till now, which is just kind of like, I am writing the I am writing this song or you know this songwriter is writing this song for me but I am the protagonist here is an antagonist and or this is the person that I love and I'm singing to them it's very cut and dry whereas I feel alt country or the stuff that we can consider alt country is far more uh, involved with the you know basically rock storytelling from the 70s up until now which is very loose very um uh, not necessarily, not necessarily first person, but not necessarily third person. It, it it's it, it's based a lot more on metaphorical imagery and stuff versus the kind of cut and dry nature I feel of uh, popular country music. So I guess to to condense that down, I would say it's more complex lyrically than the pop country lyrical content that we're used to hearing. It's not the you know uh, the jeans and beer and and pickup trucks and and that right yeah i would say so okay i would say so it's going to cause you to like sit and read the lyrics and really try to understand what this song is about 
um, versus kind of getting bare bones what it's about in popular country. Um, not okay. to slag any particular artist, but I think it's it's very more, you know, I keep using the term cut and dry, but that's that's what I feel that it is. Gotcha. All right. Mr. Copany, what would be one characteristic that would define alternative country for you? So I think alternative country as a whole, like a genre name, has, like many other things, grown more and more pointless over the years, mm-hmm. which is the phrase. If you think about it, it's very time-based. Like alternative rock made a lot of sense in 1992, 93, because you were like, oh, this is actually an alternative. And all country kind of had the same thing. It had the forthrightness of older school country music, but it was being played by kids who some of them did it more traditionally, but a lot of them grew up on SST records and were channeling Who's Do and Dinosaur Jr. as they were playing like the country vibe songs. So to me, classic alt country would fall in that category. Um, also, keep in mind at one point, alt country was almost known as honky scronk, which I learned. Oh, from good a, Lord. I read what? Yikes. Yeek. Rhett, Rhett Miller said that that was one of the terms that the old 97s and um, the Bloodshot Records people were kind of bandying about back in the day. And I kind of <sighs> followed up with some folks that know the Bloodshot folks, and they confirmed that that almost happened. Luckily, I had a few uh, Nan or Rob came to their senses and was like, that's a terrible idea. But I, but it, it kind of did get to what the point of the sound was at the time, which was like there's a southern swing and a southern honesty to it. But it's shot through with more of a punk rock heart and many times an urgency that is lacking or was lacking for most country commercial country music at the time. That makes any sense. No, I I I hear what you're saying. So there's more urgency with a punk influence. Yeah. If anything, it was more of a return to older country standards as far as the approach to the music. Mm-hmm. Be more no nonsense and direct in the storytelling. I think Jim was onto something with that, um, and it was just being played by younger folks that kind of were st- still had that rock and roll drive and were reacting against the the larger country industry. Okay, Mr. Grubs, I'm just going to go by everybody's last name just to make it yeah. uniform. <laughs> Mr. Grubs, please tell us yes. your one thing. I definitely am going to echo what uh, Mr. Company and Mr. Hankey said. The thing is, is that there's a certain kind of twang in alt country that's a little bit different than the kind of twang that you would hear in popular country music. I'm talking Trace Adkins, Shania Twain, Faith Hill. Uh, did I say Tim McGraw? Um, <laughs> uh, there's this uh, Garth Brooks, you know, one of mm-hmm. the biggest of the 90s. And there's just this kind of twang about it that wasn't overbearing. It wasn't like, Oh God, this is straight up country. It was more like there's a distorted guitar and it doesn't sound like they spent a week on getting that drum sound. Right. Um, there's the, like, like what company was saying is like this kind of rock and roll spirit to it. That that's kind of the draw of it. And it's, it's, I mean, and plus you have these guys that weren't necessarily raised on country music. They were raised on, they heard country music, they heard pop music. And then when they got into their teenage years, like company said, is, is like, you know, they get into SST bands and that all kind of really blends into the sound that they create. I mean, I could be wrong, but I believe Gary Loris of the Jayhawks 
um, was not a fan of the Eagles, didn't really care for him. He was more of a progressive rock fan when he was growing up. And it's just, you know, when he and Mark Olson started con- uh, collaborating and making music as the Jayhawks, that's just kind of how it came out. And I think that's how it can be explained why a song like Blue has definitely this kind of sing-songy sort of vibe that could be a country song, but it's not like schmaltz. I mean, just their harmonies on the intro to Blue still melts my brain. (laughs) And I've been listening to I've been listening to that song since it came out. And at the time, VH1 had a show called Crossroads and Blue was used as their their theme song. And so, I mean, but that song never gets old to me. So basically, it's a certain kind of twang that you did not hear on on the radio at the time. And to put it into like a really, really simple sort of way, alt country would sing about alcoholism and what it's how, the difficulties in it. The joys in alcoholism, whereas like you have a song like Don't Take the Girl. It's just like, please, God, don't take the girl. <laughs> You know, you know, I'm thinking of like a lot of Uncle Tupelo songs or it's just like, you know, you know, they sing about depression. Yes, it's a Carter family song, but, you know, no depression. They sing about that. Uh, Still be around. They think about like you think that it's about a family member that's sick and it's like, are you still going to be around when I'm older? I mean, it's just like there's so much more depth to it than just singing about how like, oh, girl, please don't go. Yep. Those are all good ones. Uh, so we've got uh, the lyrics in terms of their complexity and their, I guess you'd say, heartfeltness. If Heartfeltness, if that's a word. Um, mm-hmm. The urgency of the music, um, the production, the uh, level of twang, twang, uh, it, how the twang is applied. Uh, so, Jay, this is not a genre that... Uh, before moving to Texas, I don't think you spent a lot of time with. Now I think you are all about the all country that you're living <laughs> down in Austin. So uh, <laughs> yeah. give me uh, give me some of your opinions on uh, the things that make alt country alt country. Well, that's not true to start with. I, there's quite a few albums from this genre that I that I liked. Um, I didn't go as deep as Uncle Tim Cavolt, but um, <laughs> I mean, who 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 has? Um, true. I, I think to put a to maybe to put a bow on the lyric uh, conversation, I would say that maybe the common thread is that country and alt country deal with like working class themes uh, mm-hmm. generally, but all country is going to go in the dark areas and the parts that, you know, mainstream music doesn't want to really talk about or go into. Um, and I think that's very much what makes it, you know, edgy and alternative from a lyrical standpoint. Um, musically, I think what's interesting is, um, Everybody so far has really been positioning it as the alternative to country, but 
to me, it was as much of an alternative to rock and roll. Um, so you heard bands starting to bring in, bring back more acoustic guitars and even like instruments you didn't hear in rock music at the time, like organ or piano or steel guitar or harmonica or mandolin or a violin, you know? So it was very much as much to me as much of a kind of a counter to grunge and you know a super simplistic you know one guitar fuzzed out kind of screaming aesthetic that that the beginning of the 90s was was kind of um, pointed towards to this being kind of returning to a much more organic you know pre-rock and roll um instrumentation folk music influences so to me it was as much of an alternative to rock and roll as it was to country Interesting. An alternative to country and rock. I'm going to write like that down the, in my notes. Those harmonies that that uh, Eric mentioned. I mean, who else was doing that in rock at the time? <laughs> I mean, it was yeah. It sounded like it came from outer space. So, I mean, I think they were as much uh, pioneering new sounds in rock and roll as they were, um, all you know, a, a truly alternative to country. Well, what's what's interesting is that. Um, the way I found Big Star wasn't through the replacements. It was through Sunvolt, uh, because they covered the song Holocaust as a B-side on, um, again, going down the, the rabbit hole of Uncle Tim Cavold here. Uh, there's a B-side that they covered that from the Big Star's third album. And I was like, oh, what is this? And they also covered, um, or not them, but somebody else covered Big Star as well. And that's how I ended up going back to Big Star. So I, in terms of those harmonies that the Jayhawks are doing, there's almost a, a 70s power pop element in terms of the harmonizing in the way that Big Star or um, Bat, uh, what's the band, band I'm thinking of? Um, the one that was on Apple Records that the Beatles signed. Um, oh, bad, uh, bad finger. Bad finger. There you go. Um, yeah. Like I hear as much, especially in the guitar playing of Gary Loris, uh, I hear as much '70s like power pop, classic rock than in, as much as I do anything else in his playing. Uh, to me, that band when it split up, I mean, you can clearly hear it in the Sound of Lies album where he's he's got a free reign over the band and they're doing a lot more rock and a lot less of the, um, acoustic har- harmony stuff, um, on that record, but we'll get into that more of that. So I just want to go over. So we've got our variety of what we think goes into forming the sound of alternative country. I think we've pretty much covered all the, all the notes that I had in terms of, uh, what makes this unique aside from, mainstream country and alternative rock in terms of the artists. Now this was, this was a, a term that I heard in the nineties and it was applied loosely, like has been mentioned. Um, but there are a lot of artists and maybe you guys can, we can discuss a few of them who were outside of the country mainstream um, in prior to this one name that popped up that I wanted to mention, which was, Jay will know why, um, is Graham Parsons, um, who played his version of alternative country, which he called 
cosmic American music. And uh, he's sort of considered in a lot of ways, I think, the godfather of the alternative country sound with playing with the birds. He had the show, or he had a, a band called the Flying Burrito Brothers. I actually named one of my radio shows the Flying Burrito Show at uh, our college radio station. <laughs> so again, down the very deep rabbit hole of Uncle Tim Cavolt. That's how that's how deep my alternative country uh, love went. Let's get in. It. I, I will, let's go back the other way. So we'll start with you, Eric. What is a an artist or a band that you think is a important contributor to the sound of 90s alternative country it's got to be neil young for me off the top of my head neil young uh due to the fact that you listen to harvest it doesesn't sound like conway twitty uh it doesn't necessarily sound like willie nelson um neil young was much more of a folk artist that had pop appeal with this sound i mean you have a song like old man which is just i mean it's it's a folk song, it's a country song, but it 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 wasn't strictly something that you know you hear with Barbara Mandrell and George Jones or Charlie Rich, uh, it, and just throughout his career, I mean Neil Young was a major influence on you know loud guitar rock, but you know he got his name by playing quieter songs, and also like you know with Buffalo Springfield. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's some pretty tripped out stuff on those Buffalo Springfield records, as well as the very first Neil Young solo record. Um, you know, there's like some crazy orchestral stuff. So he was definitely somebody that thought way beyond just an acoustic guitar. But the acoustic guitar is kind of, you know, him playing with an acoustic guitar, or him playing with an organ. I remember as as a teenager seeing on VH1, like, him from the 70s doing a solo show and being blown away by it while during the day and at night you know i'm enjoying face-to-face nirvana metallica but here's this older guy just just slaying it on on a hammond organ or an acoustic guitar so neil young does it for me i think that's a great one i think that he's the interesting bridge between you know dinosaur jr Obviously, owes Jay Massis owes a huge debt to the sound of Neil Young and his guitar playing. But early Dinosaur Jr. was referred to as ear bleeding country was their yeah. was their moniker. And I yeah. I can draw the line from Neil Young to Dinosaur Jr. And then I know that in reading interviews with Jay Farr and Jeff Tweedy that that early Dinosaur Jr. was a huge influence on Uncle Tupelo. Is as well as Neil Young, yeah. so they yeah. were drawing from both the S, like that those SST and and those labels, those punk and hardcore bands, as much as they were drawing from, like you said, Harvest and and the early Neil Young stuff. Mister Copany in Chicago, what saith you in terms of an artist or band that influenced our '90s alternative country? Yeah, well, I I mentioned it earlier, and you kind of echoed it again. I really do think that SST and Dinosaur Jr. and bands of that era have a lot to do with it because when I think of alt country and I think of the earlier bands that kind of like created the movement mm-hmm. before, before it sort of spread out into a more lush um, series of productions and kind of different tributaries from the main river, 
I mean, at their heart, Uncle Tupelo at the very beginning was a garage band, and that's just the music that they played. They weren't trying to mimic anybody in as much as they were just trying to play what was in their heads. So it's not like they went, well, let's let's create insurgent country and create a no depression movement. I think the old 97s are the same way. They came from like maybe a more poppy area, but I think a lot of them are really driven by the original DIY aesthetic. And living in Chicago, having been around what was kind of ground zero for the what's called alt country for so many years, you know, between Bloodshot being based here, um, so many of those early bands playing at Lounge Jacks when it existed, um, the hideout still kind of functioning as the beating heart of a lot of that, a lot of the bands from that time and that movement, you know, even though many of them have gone into much bigger and different things, they kind of still will always pop up there. So I really do think that there's a punk rock DIY heart at the, at the center of most things that we call alt country. And I mean, yeah, of course, there's the other part where, you know, Hank Williams and Johnny Cash and old folk singers kind of kind of serve as the spiritual predecessors. But sonically, I really think that the punk rock of the 80s and small labels that were kind of just doing it is what taught a lot of these bands how to create their sound. And they kind of just went from there without without any kind of preconceptions that they were creating a new, unquote, kind of current kind of country. You mentioned Cash and Hank Williams. I think another one would be um, Woody Guthrie because I I think of like those early um, Uncle Tupelo. There's you mentioned we were talking earlier about the lyrics. There's a lot of very like working class anti corporation, uh, especially from the Jay Farrar end. I mean Graveyard Shift and uh, Looking for a Way Out. I mean it's well, all. Yeah. You could also draw like a direct line from Woody Guthrie to somebody like Robbie Folks, who's still pretty active and still puts out a lot of music. But yep. it's great. Same kind of beating heart there. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Hankey, an artist. Yes, sir. An artist as an influence on the 90s alternative country sound. Oh, boy. Um, well, I mean, the Flying Burrito Brothers, you mentioned before, um, that would be that would be one. Certainly, I've got I'm looking at a framed picture a record collector buddy of mine gave me of um chris hillman and, and graham parsons performing what looks to be maybe like a radio station like there there's a there's like radio call letters behind him i've got it framed here in the in the house um that's how i think you and i could probably do a podcast just about uh graham parsons and, and the flying burrito brothers you know sometime mm-hmm. and, and go down a rabbit hole I, i've got i've here's the problem i've got two or three 
of these artists. And I mean, I can touch on all three of them or, or try to get it to one, but all of them truly, I feel have a really big influence here. So I really don't know where to go with it, but just rattle um, them off. Okay. So, so going, going down the line, I would say John Prine, uh, for one, um, you know, here's a guy who is continuing to influence and tour with, uh, people, uh, you know, all country musicians of today, like Sturgill Simpson, Jason Isbell, that sort of thing. Um, just the lyrics from Angel Montgomery. Like, can we, if we just focus on these, talking about lyrically the things that Jim and um, and Jay and, and you know everybody was talking about about these dark themes. Just the first verse and chorus of Angel from Montgomery, a song that has been covered by mainstream country artists as well as alternative country artists. Um, I am an old woman named after my mother. My old man is another child that's grown old. If dreams were lightning and thunder were desire, this old house would have burned down a long time ago. Make me an angel that flies from Montgomery. Make me a poster of an old rodeo. Just give me one thing that I can hold on to. To believe in this living is just a hard way to go. I mean, that could be something off of Heartbreaker, <laughs> honestly. This, that 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 whole that whole part and the imagery of Angel from Montgomery um, being a, a sort of a reference to, um, I guess, what would be a pardoned criminal. Um, like it refers basically to a to a governor's pardon, uh, kind of slang for um, you know Montgomery being the state capital. Um, you were kind of getting a pardon and this, you know, this, this person in this song kind of asking for a pardon from this life, um, it's just huge. And I think that's influenced a ton of nineties artists as well as today. Um, CCR Creedence Clearwater Revival, I think would be one, um, because here's a band where they sounded Southern as hell, but they're from fucking California, you know, like they somehow really got to this like grimy Southern sound, but yet really had this like San Francisco Bakersfield kind of feel to it as well. Um, you know, bands like uncle Tupelo covered CCR many, many more, uh, did as well. But I think CCR you'd have to point to as well because they, they really walk that line between country and rock or, or I guess, you know, boogie woogie music and rock and, and country, um, just fantastic. And John Fogarty continues to be, I mean, just look at his list of songs. I mean, he just, It'll be truly, truly a sad day when when he passes because I, I just think his songwriting, you know, in this main CCR era was just top notch. And then uh, Emmy Lou Harris would be my last one, um, who I feel gets mentioned when you talk to your bigger female country artists about be, her being an influence. But I feel she's way more of an influence in this alternative country world than on, I guess, traditional country or pop country. I think she is. Um, you know, clearly like Connor Oberst has worked with her. Um, I'm getting to see her for the first time as she opens for Ryan Adams, uh, in Madison in a couple weeks. I'm very excited for that. Um, she just, if you go through her records, I mean, she, I think is just a major influence on, um, nineties alt country. She's, you know, this back in the day, you know, very beautiful, very touching songwriter who's kind of grown, um, how can I say, like, just as she's aged, it seemed to even gotten better and, and gotten more in touch with who she is as a songwriter. And, uh, I would feel mentioning her, you know, would be something we need to do if we're talking about nineties, alt country stuff. Those are three good ones. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention one that I'm sure Eric Peterson is listening to this right now and saying, Alejandro Escovedo, Alejandro Escovedo. Alejandro. Oh, yeah. 
yep. because of his start in punk and then shifting to rock and then more country. I mean, that's a name that I think has been brought up on this podcast more than a few times. And um, his work with first the nuns and then rank and file. And, you know, he moved to uh, Austin, Texas in the 80s um, and uh, has a, a long career that has been both mentioned as alternative country along with a variety of other styles. So that's that's someone who I have to mention as far as being a um, an originator. On our Patreon page, Bradley Mellenbacher said, um, I don't think they're necessarily considered alternative country, but I do think the violent femmes warrant a mention as an influence here. Um, the songs Country Death Song, Jesus Walking on Water, It's Gonna Rain, Come to Mind. Gordon Gano also played fiddle on 16 Horsepower's Sackcloth sack and Ashes, and the Femmes shared a producer, Warren, Warren Brule, with that record. So where do you guys fall on the Femmes? Are, is, that, is that a band that touches on alternative country for some songs, or would you consider them a possible influence to consider they're more of an eighties band. Uh, how do you, how do we, how do we deal with the violent femmes as Bradley brings them up? How do we deal with the violent femmes? <laughs> <laughs> you cannot fuck with the violent femmes. That's no. all I know. No. Um, I mean, I'll jump in here. I, I feel like, um, I, I was lucky enough to have Vincent, uh, Victor DiLorenzo, uh, just on the show. Who's the band's original drummer was on the first, you know, I think four to five violent femmes record. His dad, uh, his dad actually, um, put up the money to record the first violent femmes album. Um, and from him, like there, when people kind of looked at them as being like weirdo alternative kind of artists in the, uh, in the eighties when they were first coming up, um, he said, Hey, we were influenced by Gene Vincent, you know, who like, that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to do like a rockabilly sort of thing. And I feel like there's that, there's that line too, where rockabilly kind of comes into play mm-hmm. with, um, with when we talk about alternative country. So I feel that that's a fair, uh, assumption or a generalization about their sound. I feel that they, while I don't look at the femmes as being a, you know, torchbearers for alt country, I do feel that they're kind of in that Venn diagram because they were influenced by people like Gene Vincent and um, early rock and roll, which has a flair of rockabilly to it. So I think it's I think it's fair. I don't think it's all the way there, but I think that's that's uh, wouldn't be a uh, a critique that I would uh, criticize. I feel like that's in the shirt choice. I feel like the rockabillies would wear like the much more tailored shirt with like the roses on them and the and the mm-hmm. sequins, whereas the alternative country guys would be wearing like the flannels and uh you know more more ratty t-shirts and and more the neil young look so sure. that's yeah. it would be all about the, the costuming is what i'm saying <laughs> jay did you have any artists that popped into mind that you thought of as a uh, early influencers well I, I would just mention the the outlaw country movement i mean i think that is the original all country i mean it's yeah. the complete um rejection of nashville and the the production of chet atkins and the 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 songwriter role instead of performer and sort of just being boxed in as an artist and you know all those guys who left that scene you know very much went in directions where you know they 
did whatever they felt like doing. They no longer sort of subscribed to the whatever country said they had to be. And they just went back to what they loved doing and sort of all found their own um, sounds and new careers. But I mean, I think that very much was the model for what uh, bands did, that, that did, you know, whatever that was 20 years later. Sure. Um, from when Willie Nelson did it, Chris Christopherson and Merle Haggard and that whole crew. So and that's all the way up to like, you can even include like Steve Earle, like later on, he'd be, I think, kind of considered in that same vein of like songwriter right. who kind of went his own way. Yep. Let's talk about then some of our favorite uh, albums that we want to highlight from the alternative 90s, alternative country of the 90s. Let's start with, um, let's see, where, where we start out. We're, we're going to start in the middle. We started with uh, Eric once and Mr. Hanky once. So let's start in the middle. Mr. Copany, if you were to deliver an album to someone and try to explain what alternative country was, what would be the album that you would pick? I'm going to go with two one-two punches. Okay. Um I think the first one, and it's I'm glad I'm going first because I have a feeling this is other people's choice as well. <laughs> um, but the one-two punch, punch of No Depression and Still Feel Gone from Uncle Tupelo, mm-hmm. um, those are pretty much, in my mind, two, I mean, even this, this many years later, knowing how rough they kind of are, they still sound perfect to me. And I think that they definitely are probably the two that introduced, or introduced and influenced so many people, either their age or younger, that came along after them. And then kind of on the pop side, I mentioned them earlier, but the old 97s, like between uh, Wreck Your Life and Too Far to Care, they kind of did that bridge from going way more twangy, kind of straightforward countryish music into almost bringing that kind of bad finger Apple music, um, uh, Apple records, not Apple music. (laughs) (laughs) Field of the music. And I think that that is what probably made what is considered alt country kind of super acceptable to the mainstream and probably opened the doors for a lot of people that came after them that now have, you know, much bigger careers are doing much better. But I, to me, those two uncle Tupelo albums and those two old 97s albums are the ones that I personally find myself going back to again and again, when I just need to get that itch scratched. I don't think anybody will be disagreeing with you on, on those. And I think uh, other people are scratching off their list now uh, and going <laughs> and going with their option number two. <laughs> as I am. Mr. Grubbs, what would be a pick or two for your choices for alternative country albums that uh, you prefer? It's got to be for me, the Jayhawks, Tomorrow the Green Grass. Um, that's That was really that bridge between like the earlier sound, you know, your Blue Earth, mm-hmm. Hollywood Town Hall, and what they would later do was Sound of Lies and Smile. Uh, I mean, like that that's just like such a pivotal record to me i mean every song on there is so good I and mean, it's got blue uh i'd run away bad time a cover of a grand funk railroad song i mean it it, it just having a karen i'm gonna totally botch her last name so i'm not gonna say it but having karen uh joining in on playing piano as well as other instruments I mean, it was very much the beginning of the Jayhawks being their own sound. Uh-huh. Um, you know, like what uh, what Company was saying is that with with the old 97s, old 97s have a very interesting story. More specifically, Rhett Miller's got an interesting story. How do I know? I live in Dallas and I hear <laughs> things and I've heard his very first solo album. No, it's not. It's not, you know, the stuff that he put out on Electra. He put out a record locally and 
sounds like you really, really liked Morrissey back in the day. Um, <laughs> but it, but it was, it was just kind of this thing about like, you know, uh, they were still trying to find their sound. You know, they really liked, you know, fast country music and everything. But by the time that say they got to the records, the company mentioned and was very solidified with too far to care. Um, that's where the band's kind of been ever since. And, and, and the thing about the Jayhawks is that I love the stuff they have done without Mark Olson. But when it comes to like, what is my favorite, like the definitive Mark Olson, Gary Loris partnership, it's tomorrow, the green grass. That's uh, you're not going to get an argument from me, although I do really like Sound of Lies. I think, I think that's Sound of Lies is you know what's funny is Sound of Lies was a record I didn't really give much uh, of a chance until I listened to the Dig Me Out episode where y'all dissected the record. I was like, <laughs> damn, th- this record's really really good. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's what we're here for. Yes, to, to make you reconsider your bad decisions. <laughs> <laughs> We're also good for uh, yelling at, at kids not to drink. Don't go out there and drink, kids. You're going to get wrap your car around a telephone pole or make a bad decision. So, <laughs> or, or as Gary Loris just said, think about it. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Tying it in. Yeah. There you go. Mr. Hanky, what is your pick for an album from 90s alternative country? Well, I want to credit uh, the two guys before me because they, they didn't pick the albums that I was necessarily thinking, but they definitely picked the bands. Um, so like Jim and Jim's case, um, mentioning uncle Tupelo's, uh, you know, two of uncle Tupelo's records. Uh, I'm going to, I would say anodyne from 1993. I know that's mm-hmm. a big go-to it's, it's definitely a touchstone record for this genre. Um, I think pace magazine has a list of the, of the top 50 alt country albums of all time. And anodyne is number one. Um, I, I think that, for me, just me personally, I feel that that record it, it probably comes off as more polished than uh, you know, one of the more polished records in Uncle Tupelo's catalog. But for me, it, it works. It's it's something I go to all the time. I think Slate is like one of the best album openers ever. And if you made even like a album opener to alt country in general, I think a song like uh, Slate from Anodyne would be. The, you know, probably the first one I'd put on there. And then um, mentioning the old 97s too, uh, Jim did, I would throw, I would throw fight songs in there, even though it's like, it was kind of their breakthrough into uh, radio. Um, that's a record I'm waiting for them to reissue on vinyl. Uh, I just picked up Too Far to Care, which is fantastic. I love, love, love that record too. But fight songs even, it's a little bit more power poppy, I think, but like definitely is in in that vein. Um, and then to Eric's credit, you know, with the Jayhawks, I mean, yeah, I had down Tomorrow the Green Grass as well as Hollywood Town Hall. Sound of Lies is probably my third favorite Jayhawks record if we're counting. Um, so, you know, I won't go down a rabbit hole with those, but um, you know, Wilco, I would think you got AM, you got being there. I mean, both really, really strong albums. If we're talking about one, two punches, I think, uh, also in the Wilco catalog, uh, mermaid Avenue, their co- first collaboration with Billy Bragg, uh, where they wrote new music, uh, to Woody Guthrie lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that ended up being, um, I think I did have to make a best of the nineties feature once, um, not through the podcast, but through my writing. And, and I think that ended up being number one or two of my favorite, uh, nineties albums, uh, ever, uh, mermaid Avenue is, I, I think it's just so solid, uh, front to back as well, considering that it is, you know, they're not writing the lyrics to this stuff, but somehow it becomes one of the better albums in both Billy Bragg and Wilco's catalogs. Um, it's, it's really incredible. Uh, 
And then uh, Stranger's Almanac from Whiskey Town. Um, you know, the Ryan Adams before we knew him as Ryan Adams, basically. Um, fantastic record front to back. Um, shows his strength as a songwriter that young. Um, this came out 20 years ago uh, now. It came out in 97? I think it did. Um, 97, 98. Uh, could yeah. be wrong. On yeah. Outpost Recordings. Right, right. So, so. Yeah. That would be, I mean, that would be one of mine. And I count myself lucky. We've talked about CCR before. I saw Whiskey Town open for John Fogarty once, Whoa. which was such a cool show. Um, really, really great. So those are, I, I know I couldn't limit it to one. I apologize, but those would be the ones that I would uh, point to. That's all right. Nobody limited it to one. So uh, <laughs> you're you're in good company. Um, Jay, are there any other ones that you want to slip in there? Uh, everybody hit on my list. I'll, I'll just um, emphasize Wilco AM and, and Whiskey Town's Strangers All Mac just because they, they're you. You originally asked, you know, what would you hand somebody who was unfamiliar with the genre to explain it to them, and that those two to me stand out as being just the right chemistry, <laughs> you know, of all the different elements in equal parts. So there's just enough pop there to make it accessible, but it's still clearly country influenced um but then can rock so there's some songs on both of those records where you know depending on if the person is coming from just a general pop background i think it's going to be uh likely to connect in in one of the three or four different angles it's coming from so those are the two for me um the one i wanted to mention i mean there's a lot of great stuff and we're not going to be able to touch on all of it and it'll get you know, discussed in comments and whatnot that came out in the nineties, but was by an artist who obviously transcends the nineties is the Johnny cash American recordings. Those came out in the nineties and it felt like his take on alternative with his covers. And then there was, you know, obviously there was new stuff that he wrote for those records, but um, all the covers that he did of of the various alternative artists shed a really interesting light on quote unquote alternative country and what how it evolved and his sort of being an influence on all these artists and then also being a part of that because you know I don't know that anybody was listening to Johnny Cash other than um, as a you know historical aspect he wasn't uh, relevant in country music at I don't think probably since the seventies um, as far as a, an artist who was charting or anything like that. So to see him back and be relevant. And I think one of those actually even like won an award, but from uh, the like CMT or something like that. Oh, he won um, Grammys. He won a Grammy for or, one of them. Okay. Yeah, I, forget, I, I forget which. It might yeah. have been one of the ones that came out in the two thousands. I'm not sure, but one of the one of the American series albums. I'm I'm almost positive won a best country album 
Grammy. I could be totally wrong, but I think it did. The, the reason I remember this is because then he took out an ad in Bill. Was it Billboard? I forget which, but he he then after this win, he took out an award. It took out sorry, he took out a ad in Billboard thanking quote unquote thanking the Nashville establishment for their support all the all these years. And it's that famous picture of him flipping off the camera from Folsom <laughs> Folsom Prison Blues. I think um, it's incredible. So it's kind of like a you know a big fuck you to. You know the establishment who who gave up on him. You know, um, right? Yeah. By that time, um, but so yeah. Sorry to sidetrack, but that's no, no. That's why I remember he won. He did win something. I think it was a Grammy. Yeah. And let me just throw this in: is that the way that people responded to Johnny Cash in the '90s, as far as like, let's just put it this way, uh, music critics that I would read in Rolling Stone, they were much more open to Johnny Cash's American recordings than say the Eagles tribute album where Travis Tritt's covering take it easy. And that, that video shoot starts the Eagles reuniting and hell freezes over. And the Eagles were very, very popular once again in the nineties. But as far as like what kind of the kind of people that were listening to alt country, they, they had their Eagles records, you know, in addition to the Graham Parsons records and all that. But as far as like, Ooh, Johnny Cash is going really, really deep and dark here because I re- actually remember a video of Johnny Cash uh, on Beavis and Butthead where it's about killing a woman. <laughs> Beavis and Butthead were like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, it, so it seemed like it appealed so you, to two you, different crowds. Like, yeah, like, absolutely. You the know? the and, Eagles and, were appearing to the boomer crowd that was like, yeah, getting their band back. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like to the people that really had money to throw down, you know, back in like 95. That's like, oh, sure, I'll drop a hundred dollars to go see the Eagles. No problem. Right. (laughs) Does anybody think that um, I don't know, Tom Petty should have been part of the this more part of this movement than he was? Yeah, good. I think good call. I think. Jim Hankey has a response to that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not, I mean, I'm not dissing on you. It's just I know how much you love wildflowers. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, like, for sure. Jim would know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I for sure. I was actually <clears throat> totally just thinking that after we listed our pre-90s influences, like as you guys were talking, I'm like, holy shit, Tom Petty should have been mentioned, if not by me, by somebody and uh, and thank you, Jay, for for mentioning that, because, yeah, I would agree. And I think his I think. Um, God, I mean, could could you imagine like if I, I almost think like refugees, like the best Ryan Adams song that Ryan Adams never wrote, you know, like I feel like, oh, and you know, I just I really I really do. I, I I I feel you're right on with that. And I think, yeah, Wildflowers would definitely be a 90s like sort of. I mean, it's definitely a pop, it's definitely a pop rock record, but I mean, there's so many artists now who credit that record for, um, you know, kind of putting them down their path of, of alt country for sure. Um, you know, into the great wide open, um, you know, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff even yeah. that is considered rock. Yeah, Petty brings that. I, I've seen, you know, I saw Petty this summer and he brings out, you know, he's one of those guys who kind of brings out a solid like radio country audience as well as a alt country audience as well as just a general rock audience like he kind of bridges those gaps and he had chris stapleton open for him uh on these dates and i mean 
for real. Like Chris Stapleton, Chris Stapleton, for as big as he is in in modern country, dude is a real deal. I mean, he he wails uh, on guitar and vocals. He is just an incredible guy. And um, yeah, I would definitely. I, I thank you, Jay, for bringing up Tom Petty because I think. I think you, you put in a little Tom Petty, a little Flying Burrito Brothers, a little of this, a little of that. And I mean, you've got kind of old country as we know it, I think. And that's a good jumping point to our last um, discussion, which is you had mentioned, you know, artists mentioning Tom Petty as an influence. Let's talk about some current artists who are carrying the alternative country flag. First of all, is that still a thing? I, th- I think it sort of is because there still seems to be a pretty big divide between what is mainstream radio friendly country and artists who are sort of forging a different path can you guys do you think that's still apple uh, can be applied to artists and if so what artists would you apply it to that are currently uh making music jim since you were just uh filling us in on tom petty who would be somebody that you think would be uh, citing mr petty as an influence these days Oh boy. Um, I mean, I, I, I feel like I bring up Jason Isbell's name a ton on the podcast on my show and, and I have to do it here. I mean, I think, I think, I think Isbell's becoming sort of a a mini petty of his generation. I I think, I think he's, you know, songwriting wise, I think he's on top of his game. Um, I do think that Southeastern remains his best album, uh, as opposed to, I mean, I, I still love something more than free in this new one, the Nashville sound, but I think Southeastern is kind of, you know, rides that petty Springsteen, John Prine kind of, um, wavelength. Um, so I think, uh, I think he'd be one that I would mention for sure. Sturgill, you know, it would be one, um, Austin Lucas, a uh, singer songwriter out of Bloomington, Indiana. I really like, um, He's got de- a definite twang going on, and he's working on a new record that should be really, really great, I think. Um, and also, you know, it, I, I think she'd probably roll her eyes at the term, but I I really, really am a big fan of Lydia Loveless. Um, I think she – I think Real, uh, her last album from 2016, is my favorite album of the whole year. Um, I think she is writing some of the best songs of her career. I think she has a gumption – uh, in her voice and in her lyrical delivery that other people would kill for. I, I just think she is a incredibly immediate songwriter. And uh, I, I, I probably not as high in, as Jason in, in my uh, in my book, but I think she'd be one where people really, really have to dig into her catalog um, because she's not she's steered uh, further away from the twang of it and is getting a little bit more into you know, I'd say pop rock or you know, th- that kind of songwriting. But I feel that um, she's one where if you're sleeping on uh, her catalog, I think revisiting it would be would be worth the time. I'm glad you brought her up because uh, I was going to do that if nobody did. So <laughs> being from Columbus, Mr. Copany, tell me uh, an artist of relevance today for the alternative country movement. So I was trying to think of Younger artists that you might not think of as all country because obviously there's so many bands, I think, from the original era sure. that are still practicing. Like Jason Isabel is obviously one of those. And there's, there's, there's so many that are so good. But two that came to mind immediately because to me, all country also tends to be um, categorized by having excellent live sets. 
um, many times far more raucous than you would expect, especially when you're listening to a band that you hear playing acoustically more, more often than not. You don't expect to go see them, you know, rip apart a stage. But for the most most part, many of those bands can. So the two I was thinking of is there's Low Cut Connie out of Philadelphia, who kind of have that, that, that country swagger and boogie while still just putting on a ferocious live set. And then more lyrically, I think, and I'm not even sure she would agree with this, but Courtney Barnett of Australia. Like, she's just oh, got yeah. this great rambling stream of consciousness delivery that reminds me of some of the better older alt-country acts, and she just pairs it with um, just an undeniable sense of rock music that I think also does bear some DNA with those those, those earlier acts. Interesting. I hadn't really thought about that, but you, you've touched on something there that I'm... I'm now. I think I'm on board with what you're saying. Interesting, and thought of it that way. I mean, it's it's kind of like I said to me. The the phrase has become so all encompassing. It's harder and harder to divine one or two acts that sound quote unquote all country. But for my money, I think those are two modern acts that are that are doing a good job of it. Mr. Grubbs, I would say a testament to how good this kind of genre it is i mean because like i believe jeff tweedy and and jay farrar were like uh we weren't trying to create a new sound we were just trying to create our music right but the but the fact that um drive-by truckers are still around uh jason isbel still doing his thing my morning jacket now granted in the last few records they've been more uh inspired by like Prince, James Brown, Radiohead, but when they started out, and to a certain degree, it's still in their sound. But that that beautiful, like moonlight drive twang in in stuff that you can hear on uh, it still moves. I mean, just still amazes me. And old 97s, they're still around. They they never broke up. I mean, they mm-hmm. just they keep they keep playing and putting out record after record that you know keeps their name out there. Um, so it's it's kind of like a, a genre that just won't go away, which is good because the thing is is that what is considered country these days, mainstream country, it's really the last big industry in the music industry that makes a shitload of money. Uh, and the thing is, is that as Steve Earle put it great, if if any of y'all have the opportunity to interview Steve Earle, he's a trip. He just he he will not hold anything back. But he said in an interview recently that uh, mainstream hip uh, mainstream country is for people that are af- that like hip hop but are afraid of black people. I was like, <laughs> wow, that's saying something, <laughs> you know. And, and I mean, it's 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 that whole thing of like. Um, you like hip hop, 
you like country, you like rock, you even like a little bit of metal. But the main thing that you like is a good old time, man. You know, things are all right. It's that sort of thing. That's what mainstream, that's where your Florida Georgia line is. That's where you have Cole Swindell, Luke Bryan, even Tim McGraw and Garth Brooks embarrassingly trying to fit into that bro country mold. At the same time, you have Chris Stapleton. You have Jason Isbell. You know, Jason Isbell sings, I mean, like every record he has sung about really, really deep and dark stuff. I mean, children of children. If we were vampires, <laughs> I yeah. mean, and that, going back, that, yeah. Oh, that, I was just I was just going to throw in there, Eric, like Decoration Day from his yeah. Drive by Trucker days. I mean, Decoration Day is like a Dylan level. That's like one of the first songs he wrote. It's like a, on a Dylan level uh, mm-hmm. uh, lyrically. It's it's incredible. Yeah. yeah, and it's just like he's he is not afraid to talk about the downside of life, but also talk about the hope of it. Uh, Ryan Adams still going strong, you know, very, very prolific guy. Um, a lot of people still praise the hell out of Heartbreaker, a record that, frankly, I think he's just aping his influences and he really started to find her his own sound around gold. But then again, I don't write for Pitchfork. So what do I know? Um, <laughs> so <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's it's like it's still around and people are getting into it and uh it, it's it's still viable, but I don't often hear people say, oh, this is an alt country artist. It's just more of like it, it seems more like there are people that really, really like Jason Isbell. There are also people that really, really like Florida Georgia Line. And there, while there is some crossover uh, at the same time, it's it's kind of like the difference between people that like McDonald's and the local burger joint that, you know, has been around for 25 years making, you know, burgers that you know, aren't mass produced, if you know what I mean. Yes. Now, a name I've always heard along the same lines of Jason Isbell and Chris Stapleton um, is Sturgill Simpson. Would he be considered in the same sort of vein of alternative country? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? You know what's funny about Sturgill? He actually did a string of dates this summer with Guns N' Roses, (laughs) if you can believe it. Yeah, uh, pretty pretty crazy. Um, but but then I was like, oh no, okay, this somehow kind of works still. Um, yeah, I mean he's he's great. Uh, his last his last record is definitely more influenced by like the last couple Elvis albums where they were, you know, um, very horn heavy, very stacks influenced by like the stack soul sound. Um, really really great. But yeah, he'd be one to check out for people who, who would like to go down that road for sure. Another name I got to throw out there, I completely spaced on him because he's not totally straight up country, Sam Outlaw. I've seen this guy play a couple of times. He's got a great sense of humor. He's 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 a very enjoyable live act. But the kind of music that he makes, it's kind of like if you like Calexico, but he'll cover a George Strait song or an Emmylou Harris song. He He just has this like really gentle sort of vibe to his music that really worth checking out. Angelino is his debut album and Tenderheart is the record that came out this year, his second record. So definitely check out Sam Outlaw. Yes, I know he's got kind of a cheesy last name, but it's actually his mother's maiden name. So it's not like, you know, he 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 was taking on the persona like Garth Brooks of being like, I'm going to be Chris Gaines. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Jay, do you have any other artists you want to add? Um, well, I guess I'll just throw in that I, I feel like the genre has um, maybe is better identified as Americana music at this point because it. Uh, I'm seeing like a, just a redefinition of American music, like with a lot of these bands that we've all mentioned in terms of uh, the office, authenticity, the sort of uh, working class themes are you know still there, but very much dealing with you know, um, harsh realities, um, you know, dark subject matter, um, you know, difficult thoughts about relationships and, and those sorts of things. But, um, it's, it's more of a, I guess a, a pot of, of a lot of different artists that come from different backgrounds that kind of have that same theme. Um, which I think Americana seems to be the, the term that is kind of uniting them all together. Um, that, so that's my thought on kind of where the, the genre is going, um, you know, a band that, uh, all the bands that were mentioned, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of, uh, another one I threw out there is John Moreland. I don't know if anybody's heard him, but. Oh God. Yes. Thank God. Yes, absolutely. His, uh, record high and Tulsa heat is, it's kind of got like a Springsteen vibe to it almost without the, with just a, a more, bit more simple kind of take on things, but his voice is outstanding. Uh, his new record's really, really good in terms of uh, it brings in some new flavors. Um, it's a little bit, um, a little bit more fun, I guess, than than High and Tulsa Heat, which can be pretty heavy. Um, but overall, just an amazing, amazing artist with a great voice. Yep, one of my favorites of the year so far, Jay. Good call. Yep. All right, well, that is a good spot for us to wrap this discussion up, and uh, we need to thank each of our guests who have stopped by to discuss alternative country with us. Eric, where can people find you online? Uh, you can go to my blog, themeparkexperience.com. Uh, lately, I've been writing a lot of stuff for the Dallas Observer. You can find my author page there. Uh, you can also check out my podcast, Do You Know Who You Are? We're on Stitcher, iTunes, as well as SoundCloud. We're also on Facebook uh, if you want to just find the link to the stuff. And also, just to plug it again, thank you again for letting me plug this. I got a band called Cave Mountains I'm really proud of. Uh, we've been around for about a year, and we're finally getting around to playing our show uh, <laughs> first show next next week and um yeah do me power pop excellent <laughs> mr hanky where can we find you uh vinylemergency.com is the the website for the podcast um however people listen to this show they can listen to vinyl emergency itunes soundcloud uh, you know whatever however you get shows um great discussions about uh vinyl and uh people's memories of records from uh, musicians, collectors, people who create vinyl, all that sort of stuff. And um, uh, as as uh, Tim mentioned, um, last interview was with Charles Bradley. I'm sorry, Charles Bradley. Charles Berry Jr., <laughs> uh, son of Chuck Berry. And the next uh, episode that should be going up uh, would be with uh, Dana Colley, uh, saxophonist from Morphine. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Oh, yes, definitely. Uh Mr. Copany, where can we find you on the interwebs? You can find me at chicagoist.com, where I'm the senior editor of Arts and Entertainment. You can also read more personal musings along with, um, I tend to do more random song posting, sharing of albums, that sort of thing, at tankboy.us. Obviously, I'm on the Twitters under Tankboy, Instagram. Basically, if you search my name on Google, you'll be overwhelmed with how many dumb <laughs> you can find me. <laughs> Friendster. <laughs> everywhere 
all the places. I still, I still, have, I still have my live journal site live and running. Uh, my makeout club account is still current. <laughs> uh, you can still find me in AOL chat rooms. What's your uh, AIM messenger? Uh... <laughs> yes. Uh, we need to thank also Keith and Steven over at Patreon for commenting on this episode and remind everybody you can join us at patreon.com forward slash dig me out. We still have the dollar access level, which gets you all of our bonus content. You can vote on upcoming album reviews and get entered into contests like the one that we're currently running right now, where you can win a sweet coffee mug for all of your coffee needs. That'll be ending at the end of September, our third quarter contest. All you have to do is be a subscriber to patreon.com forward slash dig me out. And if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. For Jay and the gang, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber. Or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com.